Bandwidth for the Weird Things Podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hello, baby. Welcome to After Things. What is the definition of After Things? After Things is, I think it's more of our, our creative talk about our experiences as performers and Oh, a little, a little bit of, of both both behind the scenes on the production, but also the, the I don't know, I don't want to say empire building side because we certainly don't have an empire yet. But, but you know, sort of, um, I don't know, talking about the process. It's, it's about the yeah. creative process, about, uh, about the growth, about, uh, I mean, this is, you know, this is a 15-year journey for yours truly. You've been doing it longer than I have. 82 years, Brian. <laughs> oh, my God, you look fabulous. Can I tell you a weird thought that I had? I was thinking this will, this will be a good point to talk about. I feel like it took me longer than it should have to give up on the traditional Hollywood um, idea and focus and double down on new media and podcasting and – what was your holiday? What was your Hollywood idea? Well, I you know it's it's that you you do you you get a good enough stage show, you tour around, and then somebody offers you a pilot, and you do that, and then blah blah blah. And even as we launched Scam School, I thought at the time, well, this will be good practice for the real thing, and it was a good five years before I realized, oh wait, Scam School is the real thing, and that's when I really started focusing on the YouTube game. Uh, and part of me wants to feel like I wasted that time, but a bigger part of and part of me wants to feel like I wasted the the you know eight or ten the first eight or ten years that I toured with the live stage show. But uh, you know, in retrospect, I think you know because a lot of these a lot of these people who are really hitting their stride, who are if you look at my peers uh, in the YouTube space with a uh, you know million subscribers or more. Uh, I am I am the eldest of almost all of them. You know, at, at age forty, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur. And as I was running today, my response was like, eh, well, what can you do? Yeah, I'm here now, so I guess all I have to do is get younger by getting fitter, which, and so I ran an extra three miles. All right, Brian, let me tell you how ridiculous your point of view is on that. Okay, good. Walk let me, me tell you what, absurd, what an absurd man you are. <laughs> okay. I'm, I, I'm, aware, I'm aware of the conclusion. I just talked me through the journey. All right. First off is, is – Right now, when we're in the middle of now, now looks like now, right? Yep. A year from now, our now will look like history. When does then become now? It becomes when you start to look at – remember when – remember Rocket Boom? Uh, yes. By, by the way, that was a line from Spaceballs. Your line was supposed to be soon. Soon. I know. Let's rewind the tape. <laughs> um, I'm moving forward, Brian. Yeah, you're okay, all right, all right, that's fine. No, yeah, Rocket Boom was like, uh, was like uh, they, they dominated the early days of, of YouTube and they, they jumped off the YouTube bandwagon or the, the, the host did and started doing other stuff. I have no idea what she does now. Like, was Rocket Boom pre YouTube? Oh, really? I don't know. I'm asking. Uh, I, I, I remember it from the earliest days of, of YouTube, and there was some – it was one of the first things, like the first time I saw Rocket Boom, that, that phrase, that word. Yeah, it was pre-YouTube. So Rocket Boom was a internet show, okay? It was – first one is Amanda Congdon was the first host of Rocket Boom, was That's... sort of a daily, new, daily newscast. It started 2004, two years before YouTube hit or became a thing, right? 
So it was you had to go to rocketboom.com to go there. So Amanda Cogden was one of the first, you know, the first big personalities you saw daily, every day doing Rocket Boom, and that was a thing. Okay. Now, uh, and if you watched, if you looked at Rocket Boom, you're like, man, this is really cool. Like, you know, this is the future. This is great. These guys are the ones figuring it out. And now Rocket Boom is no more. You know, uh, I'm sure that they've moved on to other things. Andrew Barron's probably done other stuff and all that, but they were, they're it. If you're, you're looking at them going, man, I wish, you know, I was doing that. You know, I wish I was doing the thing that they're doing, but the thing that they're doing became a thing that was done. Yeah. Um, he sold, he, but he, Andrew Barron, smart guy. He sold Know Your Meme to Cheeseburger. You know, I mean, he's he's a smart guy who's done other things, and he created this daily show with it. You know, uh, you know, usually just a great female host, and uh, you know, it was a very cool big thing. But then it became old news, and I think that's that's the thing we're going to see is that you know who who was big and then who was faded. And there are people who are lasting YouTube personalities that will always be able to do stuff. You look at you know Zay Frank, um, you know Zay Frank. Uh, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Zay Frank, super talented guy. You know, he's a guy kind of all over the place initially and then, you know, kind of fits into where he's going to sort of be going. And he comes out with new products and stuff. But I'm trying to think of like, you know, the show he did for a year. And I don't I don't know what he's doing now, but he's going to keep going. But I guess my point is just sort of like uh, these things have lifespans. Yeah. You're, you're a guy that's built up a – Skill set, and again, Zay Frank's a guy that can do. Not, he, he's done a ton of stuff. He's he's a, he's a very skilled guy that can do a lot of different things. He's a great personality, and it's trying to figure out the places where these go. And and you want to be able to do. There's things that you did before. There's things you do now. The things you're going to do in the future. You know, YouTube. All the stuff is going to change. All of it's going to change in some form or another. You know, YouTube. You know, look at what we look at. YouTube, what YouTube is right now. What YouTube was nine years ago. Yeah, man, that's that's for damn sure. Uh, I guess I guess the surprising thing to me is that it just took so long. You know, we spent we spent four years, uh, you know, release or I, we spent two years not even releasing to YouTube on Scam School. Then we started releasing to YouTube, but nobody was minding the store because it's like, uh, well, you know, we might as well do that. Like they were still pushing the Revision Three platform, and then finally, you know, it wasn't until the Scam School book came out that I dove in and played the YouTube game. You know, started cr- creating bonus content, responding to comments. Like that stuff matters huge because the performance doesn't end when the video is over. The por- the you know somebody's experience, they watch a video and then they scroll down, they see what people have to say, and then they read your responses to those people. Um, you know, and, and I'm thrilled. I'm proud. I'm very, very, extremely happy to see the massive, massive growth that that, that we've that, that we saw as a result of it. Uh, you know, it's just uh, some part of me wonders. Uh, I mean, again, this is not regret that I'm saying. I guess it's more mm-hmm. idle speculation. Just wondering, like, well, what was it that we got out of that previous year's? beforehand and i guess the short answer is we certainly got a massive back catalog of content of, of, yeah, of the- for sure for sure um as bryce points out it says now say frank he's vice president of video at, at buzzfeed um yeah. which you know could either be a blessing or a curse depending on how you look at buzzfeed but i mean that, it's a thing it's like this is a guy who masters knowledge he moved in i guess what i'm saying is like these things become different things rocket boom rocket boom did not become cnn it became a platform for these people to do other things and so you know you look at like ah, oh, i'm this guy there you're you're a guy that's got huge history of live performing you're a person that that that's now you're doing youtube you've now got a tv show 
which next episode oh Monday. by the way yeah i guess this is uh we, we you, you, you want to side jag into that because i think the last after things uh that was just about to happen oh yeah uh, let's talk about this yes uh, please can, can i tell you like uh you know people think um uh, i guess this is the first time i'm really talking about a person uh, uh publicly but um uh, I, I am somebody who is better and, and gets more excited about beginnings than endings. Uh, and uh, Unless in, they're happy. Uh, well, no, even when they're happy, I, I don't get excited about endings. Um, well, especially when they're that kind of happy, as you can hear from the Night Attack 2 track, Special Massage. Uh, the, uh, so... Um, uh, January, we talked about this before, but you know, it was we knew that mid January, or I knew that mid January, it was going to be, um, you know, I was going to turn forty. Uh, we were going to cross over a million subscribers. Uh, we knew that uh, that the TV show was going to launch, uh, and and I figured all this out like uh, and. Right around the time that 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 I entered the waiting time was the second week the uh, second week of um, December and and for the next month I was positively miserable. I have not been this depressed since high school and sincerely like like full on. Um, I I don't want to say like you know over dramatize or whatever, but but it's like I realized that now I just had to wait. I had a month of like well I guess I gotta wait. Until these things happen, and I was coming to the end of the first half of my life by the by, you know, the actuarial numbers. I was coming to the end of of a uh, you know a seven year journey with scam school, and I was coming to the end of a fifteen year journey when I quit my day job and said I'd love to end up having a TV show. And it was like, it was this thought that I'd stumble across that it's like, well, then it's all over, right? I kept thinking like the end is coming, the end is coming. And then it's like, just as if it's this annoying thought that I would trip over, like, why not just eat a bullet? Just skip right to the end. I mean, what's the point of the next 40 years? And, I, and it's like, and I was like, well, that's a weird thought. Where did that come from? You know, and, and, then, and I, was, I would st- stumble across like, a, like, um, hey man, maybe I'll play a bit video games. They're like, or you could eat a bullet. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, where, where is this coming from? And it was like, it was really difficult. I, I couldn't explain it. And it took, I bought it up for like three weeks before I started talking to Justin and Bonnie, uh, you know, and friends about it. But it was like it was a really hard depression. Uh, and then then we crossed the million mark. Then we then I turned forty, um, and it still felt heavy, heavy, heavy. And it wasn't until the TV show came out that that was the last one. That was the last of the things, and it was remarkable because I realized there was nothing I could do. Like like all of a sudden I realized all those things were over. They were in the past. Like, like however well the show does, it will live and die on its own and, and it will live and die on its own merit and the circumstances into which it was born. And it's not my fault. There's nothing left that I should be doing to kind of tweak it a little bit more. It's done. So now I was trying to tell you that. I know, I know, I know. And it's one thing to be told it, but it's another thing to, to finally feel it. And uh, I woke up, I woke up Tuesday morning uh, feeling better than I had felt in in almost a year since then i've worked out for like an hour and a half to two hours every single day i've i've managed for the first time to keep my promises of staying under 1500 calories uh that the only time i had alcohol was when was at the scam school shoot and even then you know usually i'm i'm you know i'm like hey, we're having a party at scam school this was like this beer is a prop that i'm going to slowly sip the entire time uh it is utterly astonishing how different it feels like right now my biggest concern is I actually feel for the first time like I can commit to to uh, working out and to to following through on everything and and down the road um, uh, uh, you know <laughs> there'll be more projects down the road there are other beginnings like all of a sudden my life is nothing but beginnings again and I'm very very excited 
Two, two very salient quotes. One is by Steve Jobs and one is by John Lennon. John Lennon's quote was, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Yeah. And that is, that is so true. You're so busy playing. And that has been one of my biggest, you know, one of my, one of my many, many failings has been that, that I'm a guy that I hold off, put off, put off, put off all these other things because I'm waiting for this other thing to happen and come through. And I, and I got better about that. But that was a thing that I looked at, like, how much of my life I, I – on one hand, I may look accomplished, but I could show you another way to look at it where you go, holy crap, what a wasted life. You missed your point. You missed oh, your opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And so that's one. John Lennon, and then Steve Jobs' favorite was the journey is the reward. And that's the thing is having to realize that it is that, that getting there. And I'll give you an example. Like, like when I was a kid, I was really active in judo. When I was, uh, when I was 15, I was second in state in the teenage division for my weight class. Wow. And I was third in state in the men's division for my weight class. Uh, I went to nationals, and I ranked like 12th out of that, okay? This nose broke three times in judo, one way that way, that way, the other way, then I broke it straight on. And so I went to judo. I practiced maybe – I practiced two times a week. I didn't do much weight training. I didn't do much else. I didn't do a whole lot of anything else to really train for it. But I had, I had fantastic coaches. I had, I had the best – some of the best coaches in the world you could have asked for. Um, and I was lucky because I was tall and wiry, so I had a different sort of advantage I could use. I would get – I was never placed first in state. I never won first in state in my weight class because the guy that was first in state was the national champion. Holy cow. He worked out four to five times a week. And he wasn't just that much better than me. He was a lot better than me. He was a lot better than me. And, and But I knew that – I thought that – I talked to my coaches like, you know, if you want, if you train four to five times a week, you know, you'll be able to beat him. You could probably do that. And, and you know, and that's coaches telling you this. But anyhow – and I thought about that. I thought maybe I could do that. But also I had that realization that like, where do I go then? So maybe I beat him. Maybe I could win a national champion. Maybe I could do that. But then when you start talking about trying to do Olympic level training, that's a whole nother level. That is a whole nother level of, I looked at all the guys who were top Olympics in, in judo. None of them were six foot two in gangly. They were built differently. It was like this. I said, I don't think I would ever be able to make it to that level. I don't think I'd ever be able to make it to that level because it's just not for me. But more importantly, I didn't want it. I didn't want it. And, and it's not just that I didn't want to like, oh, try to go reach for national champions or try to go beyond that. But part of it was like I, went, I worked out twice a week because that was as much as I wanted to. I didn't want to be in the dojo five nights a week. I didn't want to be in there seven nights a week. And the guy that wanted to be there five or seven nights, despite whatever genetic benefit he may have had over me, he wanted to be there. And if it's where I wanted to be, then that's where I would have been. But I wasn't where I wanted to be. And that's the thing you have to look at your life and say, where do you want to be? Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I when I was on this run, when I was uh, you know having this you know great feeling about like let me work out and let me aggressively grab that brass ring of of losing this weight again, um, I was listening to uh, I hadn't listened in a while, but I turned on uh, Smodcast and I was listening to Kevin Smith talk to the guys from IGN who just made their departure uh, to start their own thing, and uh, what at some point they were talking about their stories, and one of them had. Uh, uh, had gotten cancer and wanted to make it part of the public story that they were telling, you know, his chemo and, re- you know, recovery and everything. Um, and, uh, you know, his, he said like, well, did that make you feel like you needed to, to hurry up and jump, uh, and jump now? And, um, 
Uh, yeah, there we go. Kind of funny games on Patreon. That's uh, that's that's where they are. Uh, they, uh, you know, he said it wasn't so much that that it made him feel like he needed to jump and do his own thing right now. It just made him extremely aware that everything he should be doing, he should be doing because he enjoys it. And that that is so much like there is not a single moment of creation that should not be a joy for you. And as he said that, you know. It is so easy to get caught up in the numbers game of YouTube, in the numbers game of podcasting, in the numbers game of Patreon, um, that that it's it's easy to lose yourself. But maybe my proudest the, – the thing I'm happiest about, the thing that is a pure delight and joy is this strange constellation of indica- independent podcasters that's come together, this community that was formed out of nothing. Out of the ether came the, these disparate um, you know, people doing everything. That, you know, that we have 168 of them right now gawking at us as, as we chit-chat and, and countless more. Making um, fun of us, laughing at us, <laughs> drawing mustaches on our faces. I mean, that is uh, – I, I mean, it, it, it would not be – and uh, hyperbole to call them family, you know. I mean, and and yeah. that's I mean that's that's astonishing to me I, that we could I, create that we can. I don't want to say we create this community, but um, but but we certainly uh, help to nucleate it, right? We were the we were the bacteria around which the droplet seems to have formed. I and I don't I don't know. I almost never use the word fan either. By the way, I almost never use the word fan because I look at like uh, you know uh, we're we've 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 found other like minds who are interested in the same stuff that we are. And sometimes the mo- discussions are motivated by things that pop up there, but we have, we have this sort of, you know, we're, well, that's interesting. Cause I, I don't have, I don't have any negative connotation with the word fan. I, I, I can understand why you would avoid it. Cause it makes it seem like I'm up here and they're down there. Uh, but, but to me, like I say, you know, I'm a fan of my kids. I'm a fan of my wife. I'm a fan of all, all these things. Um, to, to, to me, a fan is just shorthand for person who seems to dig the work of. Understood. Yeah. But but you're right in that it's it's very much a two way street. Uh, yeah, you know. No, we, I mean, we, I look we, at it where give... I mean, I I it's the two way street is exactly what it's about. I I I what I like is so uh, a friend of mine was looking at my Twitter feed and saw so currently don't trust Andrew Maine is airing in like certain Latin American countries and it's like in uh, some stuff my air, air just in BBC in, in Britain but right now it's in India right. And so somebody saw uh, a Twitter feed from somebody in India, you know, giving me all little little heart eyes, heart eyes, and like, oh, you're so handsome. And she's like, well, what do you think about that? I said, that's funny, but it's not real. I said, I'm more flattered when somebody says, I read your book, I like your book, or you're smart, or you're this, because those are things that come from work, you know, of, of changing the world around me. Well, those are – when you do a trick – I mean, I've always described this, you know, uh, pre pre hacking the system, and maybe we'll have to add eventually a layer below this. But I always describe like um, uh, there, 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 there. The bottom layer is, uh, you know, uh, scam school fans who, if they saw me on the she- street, they 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 wouldn't even shout "Hello, Brian Brushwood." They would just shout "Scam school" because they recognize the thing that I do. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is somebody who it's like I'm flattered that they they like that. I'm flattered that they recognize me, but 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 I don't feel like I'm a real person to them. You know, and and uh, and and you know, or at least not yet, right? And from those people you funnel into, you know, kind of the cord killers, you know, who know me as a journalist. They're like, well, I listen to his ideas here and there. They recognize them as Brian Brushwood. And then there's those who who can weather the storm and handle the insanity of of you know of night attack. You know, the hardest of the hardcore a show that is almost 
openly hostile to looky lose coming in because there are people who told me they try to watch weird or, or uh, night attack, but there were so many inside multiple layers of nested inside jokes they just couldn't even keep up. And uh, and and you know it was confusing to them that people would call in and then we would berate them and uh, and and then hang up on them. And I explain I actually wrote this down in an interview uh, during an interview. Um, this this line it says uh, night attack is comedy BDSM. And like the reason it works, it's all BDSM doesn't work if you think that they really mean any of the horrible things they're saying or doing to your body. It has to come from a place of safety and trust. And that is very much the way night attack night attack works. And so as a result, like when somebody flashes the diamond club side, it's like this shortcut, like you're yeah. a real person and you are family. I mean, it's uh, I don't know. I, I, um, it's it's a fascinating sorting process, and it's it's strange to consider who you think are quote unquote real. And I, I'm going to use the word fans, even even though oh. you're not a fan of that word. And what I love, but like like, and I guess like I love it. Like if I when I've done book signings, and somebody flashes Night Attack, yeah, because immediately I feel like it's not like oh they're just a person who's seen what I've done on TV or read a book and they'll go that they're a person that sat through some of this and has heard our embarrassing stuff or are off you know comments or whatever and like they get it they're it's because it, they, they're part of the conversation that's a lot like when we're just being ourselves whatever and i feel very comfortable like i could never meet you and never met you in, in all my life you come up you're like hey throw me the night attack sit down we're gonna carry on because we're part of the same clubhouse i love that and that's that to me that that's a great 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 thing it's the difference between feeling like somebody knows you versus somebody who knows your work like yeah. there are a lot of people who are like, oh, I like your work or I know your work. And it's like, yeah, and that's and that's fine. Right. But then like like there's this level of intimacy, like anybody listening to this podcast is obviously somebody deep enough in the rabbit hole that I would feel comfortable uh, probably, you know, probably letting you crash in my house. Like I, I and it's astonishing. Everybody. Happy. I know. I know. It's like I spoke those words and I regretted them as soon as I said hey, them. Fred, but, I'm going to be <laughs> at your house there. Uh, which room does your uh, children sleep in? <laughs> but the, uh, but I mean, it's it's a start. I mean, look at right now in the chat. We got we got Tensor guy who who uh, you know I knew as a name on a screen and eventually became one of my dearest friends and is going to be one of you know a neighbor soon. Like that 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 doesn't happen in you know if somebody who's like hey I kind of like your work you know I mean that's uh, it's, yeah it's a different and that's it's a very different thing and I think you got to look at so much of what you've built up is that and and you know you I don't I don't know if any of the other people who have the million subscriber base that you do have that audience have that. Have that sort of level of, um, I don't, I don't think PewDiePie is like, hey, everybody, come stay at my house. The <laughs> <good God."> <laughs> <laughs> That's a great PewDiePie impression. <laughs> Brofist. <laughs> that, that ain't happening, you know. And and I think that like like uh, you know, uh, I'm almost done with the book you recommended. Uh, Trust me, I'm lying by Ryan Hawley. It's a very interesting book. And in there, it, it's he talks about how to get attention and stuff like that, but doesn't differentiate between good or bad or whatever. And, and that's there's you can you can I had a friend that like he was a magician he was a smart guy but he would say things to me that were like I'd like did that not make it from one half of the brain to the other <laughs> and and like he he was convinced that like the Michael Jackson child molestation stuff was PR by Mike <laughs> it's like ah oh, it's a t- it's a great way to get publicity he's, he's always in the news I'm like like I can't. You know, like in prison, they're the first ones they murder are child molesters. There is it is the lowest thing there is on the planet. Why would you do that? Wow. 
Uh, yeah, no, that's um, uh, that. Well, especially not if what you want to do is do community building. And and what's funny is, um, you know, it's 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 Justin who who pointed out that that our play has always been to to have our bank account with the audience be be full. You know, we always want to the audience to feel oh, yeah. like they owe us more than we owe them. Uh, and you know, not to say we don't ask for things from time to time. Certainly, there there are these cash out moments where we're like, hey, it would be pretty cool if we all bought this album at the same time. Yeah. Well, I was what I was getting to is is the idea of like the different kinds of celebrity, different kinds of interactions and stuff. Like, do you remember Ginny Cam? Uh, no. Wait, what is that? Is that Ginny Cam? Wait, th- wait. Is that is that like a naked all the time, see me do everything thing? She was one of the very very first big you know internet personalities. J E N N I C A M Jennifer Rangeley. So she uh, she was she did a thing where she was like light one of the earliest life casters like back in like 1996. And would put live cams on. It would be like naked and stuff in front of there. Um, it was a fascinating experience, you know, in gaining attention, you know. Um, and then she did it for a few years and then stopped. You know? Yeah, wow. Uh, well, I, I mean, what did, what did she get from all that? There are some people who parlay that into uh, amazingly successful careers, but it doesn't look like that's the case. Huh. I mean, I'm sure she's. I'm sure she's. You know, probably. You know, delight has a delightful life. I'm not saying anything like that. But but you know, many people begin those kind of experiments in the hopes that this was something they could parlay into uh, a, a longer term career. Um, that's interesting it, that she apparently did not feel that way. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I guess it's hard because when you're you know when your your audience is a bunch of guys hoping to see you naked, you know, and that's that's the, the that's the kind of quality of interaction you have. And not to fault I mean, she is a performance artist, whatever, not to fault what she had, but I'm saying like they're different there are things that we do differently. You know, my my most watched YouTube video ever was a thing I had called, you know, was tricks to do with an iPhone. It was like after the iPhone first came out and it was like I created a website that allowed you to create stuff. And it's like great, but it's like I didn't want to be I didn't follow up on that. I didn't want to be the guy that just invented I you know tons and tons of iPhone apps or stuff like that. Cause it's like that wasn't going to be my thing, you know. And that's the thing you have to think about is sometimes when we don't have a thing, we so desperately want a thing, anything. But then uh, maybe it's not the thing you want. I mean, I guess in that regard, I'm so very happy that uh, that the thing that has caught on. I mean, I'm I'm under no illusions that people are tuned in to scam school because they want to learn, you know, effects and magic and puzzles and scams and stuff to do at the bar. Um, uh, it is peripheral. Uh, that the host happens to be Brian Brushwood, but enough people, you know, seem seem to recognize the guy, and 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 uh, there seems to be certainly with with as we slowly build scamstuff.com, which again I'm 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 so cautiously optimistic can be the thing that uh, that just the engine that runs that keeps all these so many artistic endeavors afloat. Like if scam stuff. Um, it grows and builds its own brand. It becomes a little tiny, uh, uh, like a think geek uh, competitor, or or in that space. Uh, I don't want to say competitor, but uh, but a complement to to think geek in its own magic space. Uh, you know, if if it becomes a mini theory eleven or illusionist, all of a sudden my ability to to do wildly creative endeavors just blows up through the roof, and I'm hopeful that uh, that that continues to grow. And that's entirely building on that is a that is a a marketing extension of of what we offer on the uh, on the scam school 
uh, experience. Like that, that, that is a, that is a shop version of scam school. So let's, let's talk about this for a second. So let's, let's, let's analyze this. Cause a lot of people out here are creative and are looking for ways or how do you, how do you make this thing work? How do you, how do you take what you do and how does it go? And, and, and Brian, we talked about earlier the idea of like the old sort of Hollywood idea. The, the biggest success stories in magic, the two biggest success stories. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll the biggest ones we have, we'll go through, we'll take uh, Doug Henning, was a guy that developed along with like Harold Ramis or uh, a or Harold Ramis um, the Magic Show right right the, and, the Broadway the Broadway was it a musical uh, yeah it was a it was originally in Canada it was a Canadian production and then they took it to, it was with Ivan Reitman pardon me Ivan Reitman was the uh, the producer on that so they produced the Magic Show which then got brought to Broadway became successful on Broadway very very huge successful show on Broadway NBC came along. Offered him TV specials, so every year he would do a TV special with New Magic, etc. That was his model. He would do the TV specials, and the TV specials would then get people to want to go see the live tour, or if he was doing a Broadway show like Magic Show or Merlin, there. David Copperfield came along shortly after. David Copperfield did TV specials, and the TV specials would drive audiences initially to go see him in a casino. So it would be like, yeah, watch David Copperfield see it on the Magic First ABC, and then the Magic of CBS. That was the old model, because back when he did a TV special... You know, a Doug Henning special might get 30 million people watching. That, was, that, that was, was when there were exactly three megaphones in the entire country. We have mm-hmm. three megaphones, and I suppose uh, PBS has a rolled-up newspaper you can shout down. Uh, and, that's uh, – and, 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 and uh, like – it's funny because um, uh, uh, Dan Carlin talked about this on Common Sense. Uh, he was he meant this as sort of a, a commentary on the changing state of, of cable news. You know, CNN oftentimes dips below a hundred thousand viewers at any given time, and uh, he points out that the worst episode of The Golden Girls would do four million viewers on a random Wednesday night. Like that is yep. the difference between the old media and and the, the new shape of media. And part of the way to think about it is you think about like the Dunbar number. That's the average number of people that you know, like around 150 or whatever. And then there's some variations on that, some new research. But anyhow, point is, is like when you look at the – let's say the average office is 10 or 12 people. You might talk to 10 or 12 people at work on the average office. Back in the day, if you had something that was on one of the big three, probably 70% of people would turn their TV on at some point. Chances are one or two people in the average office saw it, and you would have a conversation with somebody else who saw it. That's what that meant that day, and that's why that model worked. Then things changed, you know, and that, that model changed. You know, the David, David Blaine worked not because of, most people never saw his specials. Most people saw the press his specials got because it was in doing what he did, you'd go like, well, what's the whole point of like doing a buried alive? And I mean, we could get into like the stacking of the media and everything else like that. But part of it was it wasn't too far fetched. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't this certain things get a certain amount of traction and then other things don't. But anyhow, it's a model that changed. The point is the models changed over time to Chris Angel where it was like do a TV series, blah, blah, blah. But the whole point was the whole point of Blaine, excuse me, the whole point of Copperfield and Doug Henning was to sell live tickets, to, was to sell tickets to go see them perform live. Copperfield reportedly lost money on his TV specials. He said he spent more money to make a TV special than he actually made back from the network. I believe he, that, by the way. He is, he is one of those guys that would, was all about getting the art exactly right, uh, mm-hmm. and, and he would rather lose the money than, uh, uh, than screw that up. Yeah, where versus where Blaine, you know, Blaine's TV specials, you know, the budget's a deck of cards, you know, so Blaine can make money off his TV specials. Well, here's what's funny is up until Scam School, 
I, I, everything, uh, this is pre-social media. And this is, this is the weird thing that wrap your head around the fact that there existed a time that I would spend, and you've been there too, you know, a hundred, 150, uh, shows on the road. I would come in, uh, I would perform people, you know, every show was an audition. Every show began with the assumption that not one person in the audience knew who I was. And it was up to me to prove myself to them so that by the end they were on board and laughing and having a good time. And, uh, and it would work. However, Every single show, two weeks later, not one person could name my name or it was as if it had never happened. It was, it was all ephemera. Uh, that's the reason I had the, the wildly outrageous haircut is because at the very least, a year later, two years later, they would say, we had a magician last year. They're like, oh, who was he? They're like, I don't remember. And they'd say, well, what did he do? What did it look like? They're like, well, he had like crazy spiked out hair. And they'd be like, oh, you're talking about Brian Brushwood. Johnny like, Zavon. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Uh, but 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 you needed these pegs to hook things on if you didn't have a megaphone. Right. And so even when when we launched Scam School and I talked before about how I felt like it was a practice gig or whatever, I, I very much thought it was going to be the Copperfield thing. I thought like, oh, this will be good. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stop doing mailers. I'm going to stop buying advertisements. I'm going to stop spending so much time emailing and making these Brian Brushwood on the road episodes. I'm going to take that marketing budget and uh, and uh, switch over to um, uh, to uh, you know that time will now go into scam school and that will become my marketing wing and make it easier to book all of these college shows and to my astonishment uh, it was just organically over time the better scam school did the fewer college shows I booked I went to a national convention last year and ended up booking like one show and it was a rebooking and this was when I had finally reached a point where I was able to play the big shot game and have a giant banner quoting you know millions of people follow Brian Brushwood and nobody cared I mean it was it was the weirdest you know, thing it is and it's an example of 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 in and in, in how hindsight so one hindsight you can go back and say well of course College bookers tend to be girls. They tend to be theater department type people or whatever like this. They're not watching scams. They're not. They're not there. You know, and that and that's a big thing. Is that that's a thing I've talked about a lot. You know, like when I talk to like you know PR with either my show or my book or whatever is like there are places I can get in front of audiences and talk about stuff. You know, but but you know, I told my publisher like, listen, having a show on A and E is great. That audience, the reason they watch that show or they watch that time slot. They're not buying James Patterson books. They're not. They're not. They're not. A, they're not necessarily a book buying audience. And and one of the things that I've been doing, and like you know, through your direction on how to like cultivate Twitter followers and all that, is trying to follow people interested in books. Trying to follow people there because, you know, you look at like you look at you'll see like a a celebrity can come out with a certain product and it ain't gonna sell. Kim Kardashian comes out with a game that's based upon what the kind of games that her fans play. Boom! It succeeds. And that is a very important thing to think about is that, that – and that, that was the thing that like in the Ryan Holiday book that I thought that he could have brought more attention to. And I'm curious to see what he's done elsewhere is that like you can have a million followers, but if they're following you for one reason, none of them are going to go there for this other thing. Yes. Well, and, and that was the ultimate thing. Um, you know, we had some some uh, I'd say decent success for an ebook with uh, with the Scam School book, Scam School book two. And when we had the idea for Scam stuff, it was it was because you know we were going to buckle down. Bonnie took the kids down to her parents' place down in the Rio Grande Valley at the time. 
because she was going to clear the stage so that we could spend three days, bang out book three. And I was like, what are we going to do? We're going to sell a thousand copies, make around $8,000 and, uh, and I'll still be 40 grand in debt. And, and, and we just sort of out of nowhere had, you know, we were just like, well, what if we, what if we did a push and it wasn't necessarily pro like people clearly want to buy something from me. Does it have to be something that takes me three months to, to put together? You know, what if we created a system where we could, you know, cater to the scam school audience but do so in a way, you know, something that's directly affiliated with every single episode. Every single episode, you know, teaches you how to do it for free, but, and, but then also with the, the PS, but if you're lazy, I pre-did it for you and you can, you can throw me a couple of bucks. And, uh, you know, as you know, we did our original Indiegogo campaign and we asked for 10000 We got $33,000 of pre-orders. Uh, the following year, we um, – oh, yeah, Jeff wants to know when the next extra credit is coming. Uh, dude, just as soon – as I catch a gap in my vastly open free schedule, because uh, um, that's the other thing, too, is we realized uh, I realized every time I was going to a college show, there would be maybe three to seven peep fans of scam school in the audience. And to those three to seven people, I was like real famous. And they're like, holy crap, I can't believe it. I'm seeing Brian Rushwood. Everyone else, I was still auditioning. I was still introducing myself. I was still getting started. Um, that changed. We got a taste of that different once we started going to Dragon Con and Nerdtacular and these events where, where you know, the fans are concentrated. But by and large, um, there's a very deep relationship with your audience. However, due to global technologies it is extraordinarily diffuse and scam stuff became a conduit where we could have you know some kind of sales or marketing channel that 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 would work you know instead of instead of asking one guy to write me a check for five thousand dollars i'm able to ask five thousand guys to write me a check for one dollar and mm -hmm. that and there's something about that that feels wildly honest and earnest and i absolutely adore it and i have no hesitation if this is my legacy and if this is what makes us financially solvent i'm happy to do it yeah, I think that, you know, it's for people, you know, who are looking, trying to figure out their own thing, you know, one of the things that helped you is I have, we have friends who are magicians who maybe they come up with a really cool idea for a product and then they decide that they like the money they're making and then they're going to come out with a bunch of other stuff. But the problem is they have one good idea. They have one good idea and then they have a bunch of mediocre ideas and then they get diminishing returns after that and then they don't understand. I had a friend who wrote a really good book on close-up magic. And he asked me for my advice on it. I'm like, well, take out an ad, do like, do like, do like a one time or two time, two month in a row ad in like, you know, one of the magic magazines. I said, but after that, I said, you're, you're done. He's like, he do takes out an ad, sells, you know, like five, 600 copies or whatever. I told him like, they're, I told him like there are numbers within magic magazine, magic that, you know, you'll sell books because there are that many people who buy. I said, I said, if you get the word out there, you're going to sell at least 300 and then you can probably sell another three or 400, whatever, depending on momentum. Takes out the ad, sells like six or seven hundred of these copies of the books. He's thrilled. He's making money. He's paying rent. He's thrilled with that. And he's like, "All right, I'm going to put down another thousand dollars on a full page ad." I'm like, "Dude, don't do it." Yeah. He's like, "No, no. I look. I did so much. I want to do more." I said, "Listen, the total readership, the total published readership of this magazine is like seven or eight thousand people, which means the actual readership is half that. You've tapped out that market. If you want to do a small ad, that's fine, but don't do a big ad." Takes out the ad, comes back to me, he says, do you know how many copies I sold? I said, no. I said, how many? He said, two. He sold two. And it was just, you know, I tried to tell him, like, that's the size of the market. What's one problem is people don't understand the total size of the market. You've got to come out with new. You've got to come out with quality. And also, I've had people like, oh, I have two friends who are very clever, very, very talented people who've announced and pre-sold products that they never delivered. What? 
because they're so excited about something like, oh, coming soon. I've got this thing. It's going to be great because they make some money from the first one and they want to make money from the next thing and they know it's going to be done and they go pre-sell it and they never deliver, never ship and they create people are angry and they create a reputation being flaky. Guys who I know who are will give you the shirt off their back, genuine, super kind people who failed to do that. And that's the thing you never did. And I, I might – very, very I, guess, I, guess, I guess you're right. We have we have uh, delivered. I, the only promise that we had, we've broken was was having a, a scam school book three out by you know uh, two years ago. Um, but uh, did you, did you uh, pre-sell it? No, we didn't pre-sell it. We just yeah, we just put yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but 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 it does sit still half written. Um, it's just a lot. I, I I think we've hit a level of of bandwidth capacity where. Um, uh, I, I, I think that uh, uh, the, it'll still say edited by John Tilton, but I suppose I suspect John Tilton will have a, a rather heavy hand in the editing that he does because it's like right now the half that's written right now is uh, is all me. I think we might have to do a thing where where he uh, you know at least sketches out like here's you know here's what you need to convey, and I just go in and kind of Brianize the. Uh, can I give you a, can I give you a suggestion? Yeah, please, Brian Brushwood. Presents. With John Tilton, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. And then, and then, and then, why don't you publish a John Tilton book? Uh, well, I, he has no interest in writing books. Is the real reason, John? John's, and this is what's great about the uh, the the team that we have. John, uh, you know, he his favorite part, as as best I can tell, is the figuring out the most efficient like he loves efficiency he loves figuring out uh, ways to source things and to mm-hmm. to uh, 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 i'm going to say cut costs as if it's a bad thing but but like to to minimize uh drag on all of all of that stuff and it's like right. It's so great because I don't have the the time or attention to details. I, I come in, I wave my arms around, and I was like, "Well, what if we combine these and did these, and we told this story, and we set up the oh, I could te- I could teach this trick on there, and then we start to make it happen." It's it's really amazing. John would make a fantastic producer. I want to hire him. You can't. You'll never take him away. For a project we all work on. Oh yeah. Okay, then that's yes. Let's do that. <laughs> um, point is, and that's that's a key thing. There's like you look at. Right now, Patreon, Indiegogo, and Kickstarter are awesome, exciting things. And, and as, to, as should be expected, they're being horribly abused by people with the best intentions in the world but no idea how they're going to practically deliver them. And, and the problem is, is if you couldn't figure out things before, they're not magical solutions. They are not magical things that will make your life easier or whatever. And I have you know, friends all the time like, hey, you know, I'm doing this film or whatever. Like, can you help me on my Kickstarter? And it's kind of like, it's like, all right. You be- impress me with that video. Show me what you did with nothing. If it's you and just it's a, it's a horrible audio quality, horrible this, and you're like, well, we'll get good microphones. We'll get this. Like, I don't trust you. I don't trust. Well, plus, also, it doesn't matter. Like, if it's good content, it could be done with crap. And it's like that would shine through. And it's like if, if here, here's the thing. Uh, nobody, and I mean nobody, got rich on Kickstarter because of a retweet. You know, they got rich on Kickstarter because they had a brand and they either had an idea that resonated with the entire world that happened on its own. It didn't happen because, oh, so-and-so has a million followers and if they retweet it, it's like if it's the right idea, you just need a thousand people to see it and from there it will grow organically and take over the entire world. Yeah, there's that – and that's the thing too. It's like you know, we're – you and I both get put in this position a lot where we're asked to retweet stuff or put stuff oh, out geez. there because people think like, ah, if I have your Twitter followers – listen – 
if our followers were that motivated towards everything we tweeted, we'd be flying around on Learjets, you know, <laughs> and, and doing also, but it's not the case. And it's like, we we're, we're careful with how we use them, how we, how we, what we put out there, whatever, because it wants to be on brand. We can't just, Oh, everything. Every time somebody says, Oh, retweet this because it dilutes it. It makes this, and it's not going to give you the return that you want. And if I see something I think is really cool, I'll retweet it. Yeah. Maybe I think it's cool, but it's not for my audience. And then I won't, you know, and yeah. it's not like, it's not making a judgment call and we're not, we're not, and it's, it's weird because, you know, we're perceived as gatekeepers, but we're not. No, it, well, it, 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 all we are are assessors. It's like you hand it in front of us. You're like, yeah, if you just set this through, that'd be great. I'm like, it won't be. You will get nothing out of it, and I will uh, I will look a little bit more like spam to all of my followers. Like there, n- nothing good will come of this. This this is not a match for my followers. Uh, uh, there's nothing that speaks to them, and and it's just you know you, you only get so many coupons to keep people on the hook on on Twitter or any kind of connective t- uh, you know social media t- yeah. tissue. You, you certainly have to bang the drum when you create something cool. You absolutely have to bang the drum to get attention to it. But sometimes the reaction to the universe tells you. Either you're telling the wrong people or it's not what you think it is. And, you know, uh, and sometimes there's there could be, you know, uh, I can I could write the best book in the world. But if I go tell people who have no interest in reading books, it's not it's going to matter. Ain't going to matter. You know, I, I ran into a woman once who was at a Walmart standing in the Walmart, standing in the, uh, the entranceway with a copy of her self-published book. And she was trying to convince people, like, oh, check out my book, check out my book. And I stopped her and said, oh, listen, listen uh, you know, I, I, it's, and I said, that's great that you're doing this. You're trying to do this. I said, you know, there, there might be other ways to go out there and promote it or whatever, too. She's like, yeah, well, I just want to do this because I'm like, yeah, so, you know, if you ever want, you know, to hit me up on Twitter or whatever. Never responded. Never, I didn't kind of go into too much about my own experience with this. Sure, you know? sure, but sure. It was, but it was kind of like, I'm the first, like, if you just, if you at reply me on Twitter or whatever, tell me. You know, have reply me on Twitter, and then if you write about hey how you're out there promoting your book, I'll I, I will retweet that absolutely because that's a great encouraging story. I think that it's there's a better way to do it, but it was just sort of this. She knew she knew how she was going to do it. You know, man, I'll tell you what. That's the uh, I, I keep going back. One of the most important books that I've ever read was uh, Dr. Richard Wiseman's The Luck Factor, and it's mm-hmm. like lucky people are the type of people who talk and listen to other people and. Feel and they they have conversations that aren't about saying what they think and why they're right. They have conversations where they learn about the other person and find out what opportunities are there. If she had had a conversation and asked you questions and asked you like, well, what's your background? Well, you are, you did, you do. Well, how do you think I should blah? It's like that that would have happened and it would have been a quote unquote extremely lucky opportunity that happened. But instead, she was somebody who was convinced it she was right. She wanted to bark about how she's got her thing worked out. And so as a result, you know, she probably feels like, well, it was just unlucky that the book didn't sell and didn't connect. Since all right, somewhere there's a lady thinking Andrew's a pervy literature critic. <laughs> if you saw her, I don't think you would think my intentions were that. Um, I don't think you would thought that. Uh, looked like closer to being a bag lady. Um, oh, wow. Uh, but I was trying to be an unlucky bag lady. Trying to support my fellow writers. But anyhow. Uh, it, it's a it's it's troublesome, and I I know that I'm 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 guilty a lot when I meet people or whatever to like I'm like show and tell, and I'm like and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing this, and I want to I just want to throw all my bona fides out there because of that the insecurity, and sometimes at a loss of not knowing what the other person is, and in LA is a problem too where it's like everybody has that first impulse, or they want to know who you are and what you can do for me, you know, right. but. 
I'll give credit. Like I had a friend, she and some other actors, they went on, they put on an acting showcase a couple days ago. And I thought that was great because out here you have all these actors, everybody's going to auditions, trying to do that. They put on a showcase. They invited some people from different management groups and talent agencies to come do it. And I thought that was a very, very proactive thing to do. They got a good director to come in and direct them. And they had some managers and showcase people come in. Maybe it was like some of the people there were just assistants to these people. But that's super proactive in getting out there and, and trying to you know make these things happen. And that's, that's such a big key. But, oh God, like the problem is like, you know, you get that. We want things to be perfect right out the gate. We talked about this before, Justin. We want things to be great, and we're so afraid of criticism because we just we're just pushing a dream, not not trying to get grab hold of reality. Yeah, well, and I guess that's that's one of the things. Like, it's one of the biggest in in regards back to the scam stuff thing. That is a case where I never would have thought that uh, that that would be a a viable outlet for my brand, but it turns out to be. Um, you know, as far as gross numbers, the most important decision I ever made, and and hopefully, you know, it'll be a, a profitable one in the long term as well. We'll see. I think it's it's and it's being open. You have to you have to be flexible because you have like you look at you know the music industry is an industry that's just got destroyed by illegal file sharing, and 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 we can gnash our teeth and say how wrong it is and how you know complain about people who download without paying for it, and great, that ain't gonna solve it. That ain't going to make it better. I, I once sat down. I had a, had a friend who was with a music company, represented a, a music company, and they were talking about they were look, they were investing in uh, the follow-up to uh, uh, Napster was Sean Fanning had come out with uh, – I think it was or Sean uh, – one of the Seans had come out with uh, a thing called Snowcap, right? And it was going to be like a legal Napster? Yeah, it was a – uh, heavily crippled DRM cover yeah, thing. Yeah, Parker or Fanning. Um, and let me see if he did this. Uh, but it, what it was, it was called Snowcap, and the whole point of it was it was going to be a thing. They said, oh, said what this can do is it can – yeah, he was Sean Fanning, came out with Snowcap, and what it was it was a system that you could put on a monitor IP traffic, and it could tell you what songs are being transported there, and then could do a billing or do some other sort of thing to say this is what's you know being transported through there. And this executive told me up, this is oh yeah, because you know as an attack, it's oh here's this thing we're, we're we're looking. We just talked to Sean, and he showed us this thing called Snowcap, and this is what it is. I said I'm like I'm like I don't know if he'd invested yet, but like his from his reaction, I could tell that he probably had because I'm like uh, I don't think that's gonna work. What do you mean? I said I said well you're you're, we're already getting systems that encrypt this data and dice it up. You won't know what the traffic is. It's, no, they, they can see they can see what it is. They can see, I'm like, like, no, no, they won't. And the moment somebody starts getting these letters, it will fall. I said, this is this is a wonderful bill of goods you've been sold. No disrespect to Sean Fanning or whatever, but because they were trying to come up with a solution for the music. Industry. But this is it's this is not getting back in the bottle. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and uh, it's. I, I, it's tough. I don't. I don't know enough to speak to the music industry, but it seems to me like like certainly it's not dead. Um, there are people who thrive and survive in this this strange Spotify, uh, you know, sense on the the stream uh, world uh, world. Like there's a guy. There's a guy who is writing like ten thousand songs about everything uh, because he wants to maximize keywords. He finds keywords that aren't uh, done. Let me see if I can find one of them. I'm gonna uh, log into Spotify right now. Uh, and like, uh, for example, if you type in the word staplers, there's there's not very many songs about staples. Uh, let's see. I think I'm 
We've had that happen in like Amazon is filled with these auto-generated books where people take titles and they just create Wikipedia articles based upon it. And Amazon's been developing technology to get pull them off. The, they'll, they'll do things like we think your book isn't public. I had a friend who's in office. She wrote a book and she got a letter from Amazon saying, oh, it's, it looks like this is listed in the public domain. You don't have the rights to this. And she's upset. I'm like, no, no. It's because they saw it on your blog. You just have to tell them this. And it was just trying to explain. They're like, no, no, no. you're fine. Just tell them this. And then it was like, no, I've taken off. I've made sure that all my stuff says it's copyrighted now. I'm like, that's that's <laughs> that's not what it's about. That's not that's what amazing. it's about. Well, and it's like if you can build a business model that doesn't rely, I mean, that 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 that, that can thrive with honest people paying for your work, but acknowledge that other people will try to steal it and work around it. For example, I know that that, that was part of the reason that um, uh, in your later years of magic development, you started to develop more magic that required a gizmo that came with it because it was like built-in DRM, right? Uh, I mean, I I certainly, the, the market for DVDs and stuff declined because of piracy. I mean, it just it just went away. And so as I started making myself try to, try to aggressively price my stuff online to make it available, I certainly was encouraged by my my buyers to do more gimmick stuff because that was the problem. And that that's like Paul Harris, you know, he just everything he did was like a gimmick. It's got to be a gimmick. And that was uh, you know people will buy digital downloads now. I mean there's there's a market for that, but there's also it's, it's like I'm constantly pulling my stuff off of off of YouTube and I tell them this is mine, please don't and they'll unless you're a multi-million dollar partner, they're not going to do, do give nothing. you the same tools, you yeah. know, that yeah, uh, that's still an unfortunately still broken aspect of the whole thing. But uh, hey, man, I, I had I, to go through a thing with a certain music licensing company because they said I was using their licensed music and it was a public domain thing. Every other time I'd got one of these things come up with a public domain thing, I'd done and I put in my cop my my YouTube response like, no, this is a song. This is listed. I just wrote this is in the public domain. I didn't bother putting a link in there, and it took me two weeks. And I had to write a letter to the music company claiming to hold the rights to it, saying, show me the title of ownership, explaining that you own this. Explain, you know, show me the title of ownership that you own this. Explain to me why this is within your copyright, even though it clearly legally states here otherwise. They never wrote back to me, but I just got a notice from YouTube. Uh, they're dropping their claim. Wow. Wow. That's a long way to get there and a stupid way to get there. Yes. That's amazing. But anyhow. Uh, all right. Well, look, I know we're up against you at a, you had a, another event you had to run off to, but uh, man, I always love another the space. place I have to go, Brian. Uh, I, 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 I believe you. I don't. I have to go play Hearthstone. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll play that on the stream, uh, or I guess uh, Justin's live streaming right now. Um, yeah, man. Uh, every time we start after things, I, I always wonder, like, well, what are we going to talk about? And it seems like a lot of stuff always comes out. I think yeah, we could keep going endlessly. Um, by the way, if you want, go to the Microsoft Hololens site, and you can sign up for updates if you want to follow along. Yeah, right on. It's been after. Thanks. 